You know, the world right now is a really unsettled place. And for such a time as this, women play a most important role in history as peacemakers. The goal of Ladies of Liberty Sound Off is to affect the lives of women in an empowering way through discussion of important issues of the day. So, are you ready? The Ladies of Liberty are ready to sound off. Well, Tracy and Becky, I've been thinking about how hard it is these days to raise kids, especially with the COVID and the disruption in their day and their schooling and so forth. And I'm also thinking about what we're seeing out in the world right now with a lot of the younger people uh, doing the writing and picketing and it's just kind of a different world to me. I'm a baby boomer and Becky, I think you are as well. And Tracy, I think that you're um, one below us as a generation Xer, whatever that means. But as far as raising kids, you know, I was kind of thinking about what I would have done differently as a parent or what if I was raising kids or even grandkids now. So what would be different? And I know I have boys and girls, so I got a little bit of each. And actually, oddly enough for me, the girl was the easiest. And usually I know lots of my friends have girls and they didn't say that they were the easiest to raise, but my girl was pretty easy. But the boys were little hellions. So they always gave me a time. And I wonder what I would have done differently. And I think some of the things that I might have done differently is put them in more of a charter school or more of a religious school. We grew up, I grew up going to Catholic school. I got a great education there. I would probably do that. Although I think the school district that they were in was very, very good, which is why I ended up not doing that. But things that my folks did with me, I didn't do with my kids. I feel like maybe I was a little bit too lenient on them and they learned to expect too much. And you have that kind of sense of entitlement. Does anybody else have those kind of issues? Oh, yeah, I do, too. I think I was, um, I don't know if I was too lenient. I just wanted to probably give them all the things that I wanted as a child. And financially, I was able to do that. And I maybe, well, they're spoiled. They're too spoiled. But I, all in all, that my kids are great and I love them. But I look back, too, and I think, you know, what would we, what, I, what would I have done differently? And I think I would have listened to them more because they're so level-headed that they, they knew a real good sense of who they were and I should have listened to things that they wanted more. You know, I was real big on education. Of course we should be, but they had different routes and, you know, they could have took those routes and they would have been okay. I, that was probably one of my things. I think I would have listened to my kids more. Listen to what their, their desires were and their dreams for their, what they wanted to do. I mean, give me an example, Tracy. Well, I was always brought, I was brought up that you had to have a college education and it was very important that you had to have a college education and you needed to take such and such things, you know, in school. And, and now we have everybody wanting a college education. Everybody wants the corner office, but you can't find anybody to build the corner office. And I know for one, my, my son, he wanted to go into the Votech side and he wanted to learn 
about diesel mechanics. And I was just like, oh, no, you can't do that, you know. And, and looking back on it, that's probably one of my regrets. I don't know why I thought that. I think I was just so brainwashed and they had to have a degree that, you know, I wished I would have listened to him and said, yeah, do that. Not that he would have helped us in all of our businesses, but things of that nature, you know, it's a different time. It's a different time than it was when I grew up. So, you know, college education is great, especially for a woman, but I believe that, you know, a man, if he's healthy and capable with two good hands, he can make a lot of money more than someone coming out with a four-year degree really fast if he's willing to work. And so it's a different day and age, and I wished I would have listened a little bit more to what they said and been more sensitive to the timing. Instead of having my dead set head, you know, boy, you got to get that degree. And, you know, I just, that was kind of silly when I look back. It was my mistakes. We had a little bit more of a stricter home. All of our children went to a Christian school from age kindergarten all the way up, except for the few times that I homeschooled in a given situation. I would not change any of it. My children grew up with an extremely well education, better than probably maybe some of the public schools, although where we live right now, the public schools are extremely high level. They would have preferred going to a public school only because they feel like at the Christian school, parents misunderstood oftentimes that their child may not be a Christian, but treated them as such. So they acted one way at school and then a different way when they were around their friends. As far as college, my husband was a professional He had probably four or five degrees. He was also in the medical field, but he was an educator as well in the later part of his life. And when he sat on the board at the Christian school, he tried to encourage the board not to look at each child completely the same. We we tend to judge each child by the child sitting next to them, which is extremely unfortunate for the child. And this is why you've got children that are capable of going to college and do very well. Then you've got other children that would struggle through going to college because we make them, but they go and they get some type of a a degree or they decide they don't want to go to college anymore. So my husband used to tell the educators, you need to look at the bent of the child. What is the child's talents? What are their gifts? What are they good at? What do they like to do? And walk them through that path. And sometimes it takes them to college. Sometimes it takes them to a uh, school where they learn a craft. And sometimes they don't go to a school at all. I have two sons. One of them went to three and three-fourths year of college and because of different situations decided he was going to leave college. 
and makes a seven-figure salary now, did not get a degree in college. I have another son that went to maybe one and a half years of college and found his niche in the same, almost the same field as his older brother, making a seven-figure salary. And neither one of those particular professions required a college education because they had a sense of knowing people. They could read people and they could help individuals meet a goal that they wanted to meet that they might not be able to meet had those, my two sons not talked with them. So you really need to try to study your children and learn who they are, what they like, and what best fits them. No, I totally agree with that. I mean, that's I do too. It, yeah, exactly right. Um, it, it's interesting when I had the kids, you know, at a young age, or I mean, I didn't have them at a young age, but when they were young, if if they needed to be punished in some way, I would have to think of something for each one. Because if I would send my daughter to her room as a punishment, she'd be happy as a clam. And that's what she wanted to do. So I would have to make her be out with everybody as her punishment because she was kind of a loner, still is to this day. And if I did that with the boys, they would go crazy. They didn't like going to their room and they didn't like being alone. They wanted to be out in the middle of everything. So you do have to figure out what to do with each child. And, you know, it was kind of the, the time where video games came out, but they weren't nearly as big and the phones and things not nearly as big as they are now. And I get concerned now with parents using those things as babysitters for their kids, the social media, the video games, the, the, the games where they're, you know, shooting and killing people over and over those kinds of things. I, I have a problem with that. And I don't think that that's good for them in huge doses. Video games are, are fun and there's, there's use for them. They're really good with your hand-eye coordination and they're, they're good with, you know, just rapid brain movement, but they also don't give you socialization in a way that sports did. And I, I see that really used a lot today as far as parents using electronic things as a babysitter. And that would be something that I would like to see change back to people uh, being more with each other. And of course, now with COVID, you can't so much do that, but that'll go, that'll pass. And we need to, to get out and understand people and people skills. Because to Becky's point, well, if you have people skills, you can go a long way in life. And to Tracy, to your point, uh, I totally agree with you on, you don't need to go to college to make a really good living. You can be an entrepreneur. Look at some of these multi-billionaire guys that are, you know, in social media, the social media world, they had a skill and they used it, but they didn't get a college degree. They just 
found their niche and which is what it's all about. And they, they used that niche and they've been very, very wealthy. So just having a parent make somebody to go to college, I don't, I don't agree with, I think we need more people that can do things like fix our cars, fix our plumbing, um, do electrical work. Those kinds of things will always make money and people always will need them. Yeah, I agree with that. And I, I think the COVID, or I'm hoping the COVID, maybe strengthened some family ties that needed to be strengthened. Because, you know, it's it's really not about fishing. Isn't that a song or something? It's She thinks we're just fishing or something. But it, it's not about fishing. If you can spend some time with your kids and, you know, teach them to pop the hood and look underneath the hood of the car and, and tools and learn how to read a tape measure there's so many things we can be doing with our children right now with this quarantine that I hope it does strengthen ties and they learn something from it. And instead of just always being in a phone or playing video games, you know, this time maybe is better well spent you just being outside or a project or, you know, building something and teaching them that those skills right now you know as their as their children and kids and teenagers you know because like I said it's not it's not all about the fishing it's more about time spent and time well spent I I look back on it and you know if there's younger parents listening I think the toddler age and the five-year-olds there's a lot of fundamental skills I think our foundation is built there but it keeps growing from that point and I almost think the later teens and younger 20s is almost as hard as or as harder than the high school years because there's so many major decisions our kids try to make as they graduate high school as they roll into their 20s that they need our you know they need their parents or their mentor more than ever at that age because there's so many major life decisions made right then and I look back on it now and I probably stress too much when they were younger and you know they need they need you at all ages but I think even more so in the late teens and early 20s and and so you know younger parents the universal thing you can do is spend time with your kids and you can play with your kids and as well as work and teach them something and love and always having food out food always was the community thing where everybody if they knew you had food they wanted to come to your house and <laughs> that's true especially if you had nice treats <laughs> yes that that was the kind of the way our house was everybody always congregated at our house because I always had a bunch of different things for the kids to have after school and you know when I was raising my children computers were they were available, but they weren't as uh, demanding as they are now. And computer games were not as reticent and as easy to come by as they are now with just downloading one. You had to have special equipment when my kids were little. So that ought to tell you how old I am. But we did not allow our children to play those games. Maybe they might get to play 30 minutes sometime in the evening after they got their schoolwork done. But we we encouraged them to go outside and play. And each of our children 
were all involved in some type of a sport. And my late husband was a coach as many times as he could be for the different activities that the children were involved in. And we always, one of the things that we always did was we ate dinner together. If my late husband got home late from work, then we waited for him to walk through the door. But dinner was put on the table the minute he was he walked through the door. The other thing that we did during dinner is we walked around the table. When I say walk, we went from child to child and asked them, what did they learn today? What was new today? Was there anything troubling today? What was your day like? And every one of them were encouraged to talk. We never let them go upstairs or take their food upstairs or to sit in another room. And I didn't eat with maybe one or two of the children and then Tom come home later and eat with eat by himself. That was just a ritual that we did. And we ate breakfast together in the morning when the children were going to school. So there's, there's opportunities where families can really make a difference and capture who their children are and capture the moment if they could just sit down and have a meal together. Um, that, that was probably one of the most instructional times in our family life. And I had four children. So there was a lot of conversation and my late husband would not allow them to not talk. He, if you didn't have something that you learned, then tell me, who did you meet today? Especially when school first started at the new year, they had to come home every day and tell us a new student's name and what they were like. And they didn't have to be friends with them, but they had to know who they were. And so there was a lot of instruction and interaction um, between family times. And that's when we did it at the meals. And the mealtime is really, really important. And, you know, that's tough for a lot of parents when they're working and they get home every, and then maybe the kids have, baseball or soccer or some kind of sport or they, you know, they have things going on and everybody's going in different directions. It's tough to get those family meals in. And I, th I wish that we would have done more of that. Although we, we did do a, a significant amount, but a lot of, there was a lot of sports going on. And so we, a lot of times would eat, you know, at the ballpark or, wherever, mm -hmm. but, but certainly together. So yeah, I mean, the thing, things that I look back and think now are important are, are really the things that you both are talking about. We're all talking about is spending time with your kids. That's the number one most important thing is that, that kids need to be heard and they need to be talked to and not just set in front of a television or a video game for hours and then they go to bed. That that just can't work. I mean, I always would work on the kids' homework with them and, and I, I'd want to see it and make sure that they understood what they were doing. That type of thing I think is important. And uh, I, I did do things, well, I'm, I'm going to pick up with some of the things that, that I did to encourage my kids to do things they didn't want to do, um, which mm -hmm. we all have to do at times in just a moment. 
Don't miss an episode of the Ladies of Liberty Sound Off. Subscribe to the podcast. And for the latest news and inspiration, join us back at AmericaOutloud.com. Hello, this is Lieutenant Randy Sutton, the host of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement. I am a 34-year police veteran. I am also the founder and CEO of an organization that stands behind injured and disabled law enforcement officers. It is called The Wounded Blue. Our website is thewoundedblue.org. We have produced a film. It is an important film. I urge you to watch it. The film details what happens when a police officer or law enforcement officer is shot or stabbed or beaten or disabled, seriously injured in the line of duty. Most people think they are taken care of medically and financially. The reality may be quite different. It is called The Wounded Blue, Service, Sacrifice, Betrayed. The film is available on Amazon, iTunes, and the Microsoft Store. Back and we're talking about raising children in this day and age, as opposed to when Linda and I raised our children. And Stacy is a little bit uh, younger than we are. And the challenges that we face with the different ways people are looking at children and how they raise them now—it's quite different. We did discipline our children back when they were small and as they got older. And one of the things that my husband would do would, he would take the girls and I wouldn't necessarily call it a date, but he would go out with them and he would treat them as if he was a young man and and open the door for them and pull the chair out and talk to them and let them know that this is the way a young man treats a young lady. And then I didn't do so much with the boys. He, he pretty much talked to the boys in that manner on what it looks like to treat a, a young lady. The way they learned mostly was how he treated me. And he was extremely uh, kind and a gentleman and always did the right thing. For the girls, spending time with them at home and teaching them what a home is all about and teaching them to cook. They both love to cook. And so we would spend a lot of time in the kitchen making uh, different types of recipes and putting things together. And this is, um, they're both great cooks now. Um, But I will say that my oldest daughter decided she wanted to go to college and she ended up going to a two-year college and getting her uh, physical therapy assistance degree. So she works out of the home and going to do home health and and sees patients. And then my younger daughter, we spent a lot of time in the kitchen before she got married. Uh, But it's, it's an opportunity to guide them into adulthood, we don't see a lot of that anymore. And you talked a little bit about doing chores and things of that nature. That is a definite must. And I think that's lost in today's society because maybe both the mother and father have to work out of the home. And so the home might be a little chaotic or we want to spoil our children. Maybe give them things and 
do things for them that maybe our parents didn't do for us. But for me, I had chores as a little girl and we were insistent that our children would grow up knowing how to do pretty much everything, whether it was ironing their clothes, washing their clothes, changing a bed, vacuuming, whatever it was. Uh, they knew how to do that because if they were going to go to college, they had to do that. They had to at least know where <laughs> to begin. That, that's and, exactly right. That they that if you teach them all these things, especially I like your cooking because my husband always told the boys that if you learn to cook, you'll never sleep alone. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's an old Italian thing that his his family had always you know, said that, that the men should learn to cook. And to this day, he's the one that really cooks most of the meals. I, I tend to cook the, um, the big meals like Thanksgiving and Christmas. And, but he likes to cook. And, you know, I like to cook too, but he loves to cook. So, you know, I, I defer to him most of the time. And, and, you know, there's, there's times that we split it up, especially during this COVID time when we've have to have to stay home a lot more, you know, we've been not eating out and we've been cooking a lot more. So we're learning new things there and kids can learn those things while they're, they're off right now. And they can, you know, join in instead of just being served all the time, all the things that you have to do in a home to keep it going. Like you said, Becky, the kids should learn how to do wash their clothes. And I know when um, my daughter was going to go, to college. And she was very, very much a loner and a homebody. And she wanted to go to college from home. And she could, I mean, the, the drive was doable. But I told her, you're going to go live in the dorm. And she was horrified. She didn't want to do that. And she, I said, if, if something happens to us, then you won't know how to literally pick up a phone and call for a pizza. And I can't have that. I, I can't do that to you. You're going to go live at the dorm. And she called me the first few days in tears. And it was the worst thing. I, I can still feel it today that she just said, I, I don't want to live here. I hate it. I, I want to come home. And I said, don't call me back until you find a friend. And the very next day, she called me and what happened was somebody came around the dorm knocking on doors and said, Hey, we're all getting together and going to a movie. Do you want to come just to everybody? And she went and it was an epiphany for her and she was fine from then forward. But those few phone calls broke my heart so much. I can't tell you. And parents have to be willing to do the hard thing to let their kids blossom. And that was, that was very hard for me, but, and hard for her too. But today she looks back and she says, you know, she thanks me for making her get out of the house and go do something with herself. Well, I'm probably the mommy manager of us three because <laughs> <laughs> my kids, we all work together. So we have a unique dynamic with our businesses, uh, the kids work here. I mean, we all work together every day. We get up and we go to work and they have literally had that life since 
you know, as, as long as they could remember, they'd have to go out and work on a piece of equipment, a backhoe, a dozer, dozer, they'd be in the hay field. So my kids has always worked and they still work with us. And so it's different, you know, like I said, I'm the mommy manager. I had them when they turned 18, I had them a financial portfolio going. I showed them how we had invested their money because we would pay them of course in the summers. And so I had, they'd have some money and then the other money, I kind of managed it and put it in different places and had them a, a folder and a portfolio going when they turned 18. And I still help them with that. Now it's, um, it's a group effort to do what we do. And I don't know, I guess I have a unique dynamic. I, I'm a boy mom. So I love to be with my boys and we always went hunting or fishing. You know, we just got in from uh, my youngest son's, one of his two best friends called and they were duck hunting on the local lake and their boat broke down. And so they couldn't reach anybody and they're calling us, you know, calling dad, Jerry, will you come get us? And we went and roped them and pulled them to the shore. And (laughs) so we just love doing things with our kids. It is, by far the hardest job I've ever done. And I phrase productive citizens was, is the hardest and I'm still not finished. I'm going to do it till I die. The hardest job I've ever done, but I've loved every minute of it. And I considered it an honor and a joy and it's, it's tough, but so I'm, I'm different in that fact that, you know, my kids didn't move away and have this career. We're all still working together every day. It is definitely the most challenging thing I have ever done in my life because you you get this baby, you bring it home and you think, now what do I do with it? You know, um, how am I going to raise it? And then you're, you think, okay, this child is growing up. I had a friend who had two children and she said she started writing the book, The Perfect Child, because her daughter would just sit and play and never got into anything and just was the sweetest little thing. And then number two came along and she started ripping all the pages out of the book because none of it fit. And I think when I've got four children and they all have different personalities and I would have to say my girls were the easiest to raise. Did they bring challenges? Of course they did they didn't get in as much trouble as the boys got. They didn't make me pull my hair out like I did with the boys. I think boys have a tendency to uh, challenge the mom more than they will challenge the dad. Uh, When they get older, it's, it's normal for them to want to begin to take charge and to usurp authority because that's how they were created. They are to grow. They are to be the leader of the home eventually. And so they, my boys decided they were going to start real young. Well, they had to come down. We had to come down on them pretty hard and say, no, you're not going to do this. You're going to do it this way. And so they all bring different challenges uh, to the, to the home front. And you have one child and you think, oh, I can do this again. You have another child and boy, you've got a totally different personality. And whereas you use the same form of discipline, 
which we did, we were pretty consistent with our discipline. It just didn't take as much for some as it did the other. All I had to do was look at one of my daughters and she knew to straighten up. The boys took a whole lot more effort. And then my fourth child was a girl and she um, took a little bit more effort to get her in line, but it was quick. And so I think we, as parents, we, again, we have to sit back and read our children and we have to, we're learning who they are because their personalities are a combination of two people. And so you've got to figure out what is the best way to work with that child without crushing them. And oftentimes I think in our family, we came down too hard many times and then other times maybe not hard enough. Uh, but we make mistakes as parents and we've got to own up to those things. And the biggest problem I had, one of the biggest problems I would say is I didn't like seeing my children fail or make a mistake. So I was wanting to maybe correct them too soon before they were actually going to finish a situation where they could really learn, well, this isn't the way I'm going to do it now. I have to work a different way to get the outcome that would be positive and not necessarily negative. That's just my bent. I'm a fixer. And I had to be really careful with that. Yeah, a lot of us are fixers. I, you know, you, you remind me of a time with a couple of my kids um, in school if my kids would do something wrong, I would not have their back. I would support the teacher if my kids did something wrong. But if my kids didn't do something wrong and were being accused of something, I was the tiger mom. You know, no, don't, yes. don't mess with, no. And I would tell them that they were wrong. Don't mess with them. And they oftentimes were wrong. But I always made my kids own up to things that they did. Truth was the biggest thing I wanted my kids to learn that they had to be honest. And I, I think I was pretty successful with that. And then I know, again, with my daughter being somewhat of a loner, she was in band in school and she hated it. She had, there was a girl that was bullying her in the school band, high school band, and she just hated it. And she told me every day that she wanted to quit. And I said, no, you, joined it you she played drums and you joined it and you are responsible to you know for your commitment you can't just leave everybody else hanging and she told me every day she wanted to be out and I said well if you want to be out you have to go to them and tell them she wanted me to do it and I didn't do it and I actually I still feel bad about that because I didn't know how much she was being bullied at the time but she did it and she went in and she told her instructor that she wanted out and she got out. And I was very, very proud of her because getting her to take those steps was very hard for her. But I felt strongly that I needed to give my kids that kind of independence that I always thought if something happens to me and I'm not there to defend you, you've got to be able to defend yourself. And, and that was always my goal is to make them independent enough to mm -hmm. be without me. And even though sometimes that hurts to do it, it was important to me to do. 
And and I'm not sure today if I was right or wrong, but I I think just looking at my kids that it turned out fine, that, that they're all independent and that they, that they all can make their own decisions and, you know, handle life, which ultimately is what we want for our kids. Right. No, I'm sure you were right because that's, as soon as they're born, they're learning, they're learning to be on their own. That's what they're supposed to do. And sometimes they will rebel or they'll talk back or they, you know, they try things or testing their boundaries, but that's a normal part of childhood Mm -hmm. and a normal part of being a functional adult that can leave the nest on their own two wings. So I think that's exactly what we want our kids. We want them to be truthful. And we also want them to know in life, you got to say, you know, you're sorry and you want to have them, they want to, you want your kids to have a humble spirit. You want them to treat people well and you want them to be well-rounded. So I think that's exactly what we want for our kids to be. Yep. I totally agree with you. And, you know, there's just, there's so much today that I'm seeing with kids that are not well-rounded and then again, there are other parents, depending on probably where you live and how you, we've all been brought up as parents that do raise their kids well-rounded, but there's a lot of kids. I, there's, there's one person that I know whose son is, uh, I think he's about 21, 22 years old, literally spends every minute of his life playing a video game that, you know, kills people all the time. And he, runs down the stairs and he says, Oh, I killed 15 of them. I mean, that horrifies me. And she just goes, Oh, good for you. You know, that that's no life. That's not life to me. And I wish that that young man would have had the benefit of having a dad around and dads are so very important in kids lives. And we have so many single parents out there that are trying to do both. And God bless them for doing that. If you are put in that situation, and you have to be both, then it's time to come to the plate and do your best at being both. But um, boys need that dad around. Dads are the ones who show them to do those things you were talking about, Tracy, about using your hands and working on machinery or working on, you know, woodworking or plumbing or whatever it is. The, this generation of boys don't seem to know those things like our generations did, you know, how to, how to use their hands. And they, they know certainly how to use computers. And that's the new thing. But I'm telling you, people are going to be still going to the bathroom, you know, in all the years to come. And they need to know things like plumbing and, you know, some sort of fix it things because otherwise you're going to be paying somebody big bucks to do that for you. I'm so thankful for my husband. He, he was all, and he still is very active in their lives, probably almost a little bit too active, but they kind of joke around about uh, dad would just build a big old house and we'd all live in that same house. Cause I mean, he's just, I'm so thankful for how he has been a dad to my boys and, he the boys always was a joy to him he'd always want to take him places take him to go meet with people and look at a job site um, take him hunting fishing play sports he was always the coach so I know there's so many kids that don't have that and it's so important for them to have somebody to look up to and and so you even now and I wanted my sons as they are starting their families I want them to be that example dad because there's so many young men that don't have that 
that they're not only being a father figure to their own children, but an example to those kids that they can look up and call. And even at 22 years old, call and say, hey, I'm stranded in the middle of the lake. You got time to come get me? And you get up and you go do it, you know, and I just, I want my sons to be, you know, to fill those shoes that their dad did for them. Yep. And then we'll be right back. My fellow Americans, you've watched for decades as radical Marxists have systematically taken over some of our nation's most cherished institutions. And like us, we're pretty sure you're not happy about any of it. But this is the America we now find ourselves in. AmericaOutloud.com is fighting back with one of the fastest growing conservative media networks in the world, featuring some of the nation's most influential experts and commentators. It is a fight for the soul of humanity. America Out Loud Talk Radio is the voice of liberty and justice for all. Listen to the Ladies of Liberty sound off on iHeartRadio or our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. Well, in today's age, I'm of the old school that family is first and relationships is the foundation for our family. And the younger generation, the teenagers in the 20s, they're building their relationships different than what we did. There's not a whole lot of playground, you know, talk and where you build those foundations of a, a friendship. You know, it's all on the computer. Or it's texting or it's some sort of website or even their dating is a, not a website, but an app. And I'm telling you, I'm kind of lost on this new way of how they find their significant other. Um, it's different. Do you guys have any advice on that? <laughs> well, um, when I got married the first time, I dated two people and married the second one. So I was married for 41 years, and then he passed away. But we would tell our children what we would accept as far as their dating when they lived at home and what we would not accept. And we set guidelines and limits as much as we could and monitored those guidelines and limits as much as you can as a parent. One of the things I would look at my children and say, there's not a question that I would be afraid to ask you or the person you're dating. And that would put a little bit of fear in them because they never knew what I was saying. (laughs) That would put fear in anybody. (laughs) (laughs) They never knew when I was going to pop up with a question. And when they, we always insisted right at first that they would double date. And then as they got older and we, and our kids didn't date around both of them and both of them, all four of them pretty much found their uh, spouses pretty quickly and did not date a whole lot of people. But I would always tell them since we raised them um, in the church and we were Christians and they all professed to be Christians, I always told them, just keep Jesus between you. 
So when you're sitting, if it's a bench seat, make sure Jesus is sitting right between you. If you're going to the movies, make sure he sits between you. And if you're doing anything else, make sure Jesus is right there in front of you or between you. And hopefully that would put a little bit of uh, control in their life. But I damper think- would be my word. Put a damper. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? He's watching whether we realize it or not, or whether you want to accept it or not. And I just would always tell them and remind them, there's not a question I'm afraid to ask you. You know, there, there's things that, and, and I do kind of the same thing, Becky. I would tell my daughter and I would tell my uh, daughter-in-law and I would tell my other son's girlfriends. And, you know, we'd be, say, at the dinner table, all of us. And I'd say, okay, well, there's something I want to talk about. And the boys would just cringe because they probably knew what was coming out of my mouth. But, you know, I, what I see today is I see a lot of girls playing games with boys and they're kind of dangerous games, I think. And not that they haven't always, they, they always have, but playing, playing games with people's feelings, playing games with, you know, their sexuality. And one thing I always told the girls in my family is if you, get married, or if you're in, you know, a a one-on-one relationship, and if you are having relations, then never use sex as a weapon, and never play games with it. So don't, you know, don't go to bed mad, don't sleep apart, don't um, go sleep on the couch, and like, to the girls, don't withhold sex for favors or for because you're angry or because you want to get back because that's the quickest way to lose your guy. Um, I think that one of the best things women can do is teach their girls what men are made of and how they think and how they react because it's different than women. And probably the reverse is true. We, we, if we can teach our girls or our boys, how women react so that the two sexes can understand one another better. Mm-hmm. I, I just think that people, when they start playing games in their relationships, like head games, whether, whether it's a dating relationship or whether it's a marital relationship, that they put such a wedge in their relationship that it's hard to rebuild that and have trust. And trust is the number one thing in a relationship, as far as I'm concerned, because if you don't have that, you're not comfortable with anything else. So I, my big thing in teaching my girls was trust and that, that you're not going to, you know, use men's weak points against them. And I, and I don't mean sex being a weak point, but it, it's probably hard to explain it on the radio, but you just don't want to use sex as a weapon. And I see a lot of young women playing that game and I don't think it's helpful for anybody. It's not. And that's an excellent point you made about a man is built different than a woman. And by design, God made us different. Uh, The man's the conqueror. He's the leader. He's the hunter and the woman's the nurturer. And so we're very different And we have to teach our children when they get into serious relationships that 
each is different. And I agree with that. I like that point that you made. I'm a different parent, probably. My style is a little bit different. I didn't want all the details. Becky, I wasn't going to ask the questions because I didn't want to know. So I told him, I am not about the details. I am a mama that don't want to know about the details, but we were brought up in a Christian home, and I wanted them to respect um, whoever they were dating and talk to them nice because you know, when you get into a stressful situation, if you're angry or if you're fighting, you tend to say things you don't always mean, and you got to learn how to communicate, and communication is so key in a relationship, and it's hard for especially younger men to tone down that testosterone and learn how to communicate in a way that they should, and over time, you know, they learn that better. They're not at 19 years old and communicating, you know, like a 52 year old. So there's a lot of learning there. And I'm hoping these kids have staying power in relationships. I felt like I always, we were always the fighter, my husband and I, you know, we, we stayed to fight, make the relationship go. So we had staying power and I hope these kids in this generation do also. Um, I've always taught mine about cooler heads prevail. Mm -hmm. So sometimes they need to have a little separation and not always fight, 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 but, you know, step away from the situation, put a night's sleep on it, and then cooler heads will prevail in the morning. So I do try to teach that. So again, my style is a little bit different, but all excellent points. And, and the main one being that a man's a man for a reason and a woman's a woman for a reason. And that's part of God's design. And, and they have to learn about each other and, learn how to make it work. And they need to learn how, how to fight because there's ways to fight. And you said it, that if, if you get very personal and start throwing all kinds of things into the fight that have nothing to do with the fight, that's very damaging to a relationship as well. And that that's one thing that my husband and I have done really well is if we fight, we fight about an issue and we don't attack one another. And that's virtually never. And we um, can get hot about an issue. But once that is over, that's over. So there's not a whole lot of leftover hard feelings, because you said I was this, or you brought up something from 10 years ago, you know, the, those kinds of things. Learning how to fight in a relationship is, I think, is really, really important. And that's not just for married couples, but that's for parents and kids and, you know, for, for all kinds of people to, to know not to personally damage somebody in that fight, because those are things that you can't take back. Excellent point. And again, and that's something that's a hindsight thing in a relationship, you know, teaching, teaching the younger people how to be in a relationship is that they always want to throw back five years ago and, and you can't, you've got to learn how to do that. And it just takes time. And, and, you know, I'm telling you that the main thing that a family needs to be in is in church and getting that foundation with God and, and he will help you learn and give you the wisdom and, and put it on your heart. You know, sometimes your heart needs to be a little softer, that little voice inside your head that whispers, Hey, you know, and be able to look at both sides of the situation. So I think we very, very good point. We need to teach our children how to fight. One of the things our pastor told us, and he has told us this before, and I just so appreciate it. 
but it takes a lot of humility. And that is when he and his wife have a disagreement and they are, looks like it's going to take a little bit longer to come to a conclusion with that disagreement. If one of them lashes out, then what they try to do, even before they've been able to reconcile the situation in their own head, they go to apologize to the other person and say, I am really sorry for how I responded, but I'm having to deal with, with something right now. And, but I want you to forgive me if I reacted or acted wrongfully or didn't communicate well, uh, but I'm going to need some time to just kind of reconcile my thoughts and everything. And he says, that takes a lot of humility because what it does is it throws water on a volatile situation. And the other person is now thinking, wow, I mean, you can't be mad at someone that wants to come to you and ask forgiveness. And then you look at them because that's what scripture teaches. You look at them and you forgive them and you may not be ready and willing to forgive them because you're still haven't reconciled the issue in your head, but that's what scripture tells us. We need to ask forgiveness and give forgiveness and not to dwell on the ugly. And like you said earlier, don't go to bed angry. Don't sleep in the other room. At least kiss the other person goodnight. You don't, you don't have to cuddle, but you can kiss the other person goodnight and act civil and just don't go to bed angry. That happened to a friend of ours when I was a very little girl. Her and her husband had a violent, not physical, but a, a violent argument word-wise, well, he had a heart attack that night and she never, mm -hmm. she went to bed, she went to bed angry. She never told him that she loved him. She never said anything other. So the only words he heard that night were angry, volatile words. And she had to live with that the rest of her life, not being able to say something. So it's important what we say and how we say it and we may need a few more days just to calm down and to be okay with everything, but we just have to remember that there's three sides to every story. There's mine, yours, and God's, and somewhere in the middle, there's the truth, and it's usually right where God is sitting and not necessarily my blindsidedness or his blindsidedness. Uh, we just have to be willing to listen to the other person. Yeah, and I think not not sweating the small stuff. You know, um, so many arguments are trivial, and when when we start to get into something about something trivial, I always stop and I think in my head, what am I really angry about? I'm probably not angry about this because this is too small of a thing. So there's something else with me, and I'm just taking it out on this. And and you know, take a step back and and think about it, but if I'm going to get in an argument with somebody that I really care about, it needs to be something that's a big thing. That's, you know, one of those things where you really want to take a stand. There are people who want to argue about everything. And I tend to try to stay away from those people in life because I, I just don't have the time or the, I don't know, maybe the patience to, 
want to be spending my life arguing because I tend to want to be in a peaceful place in life and not in an argumentative place. So a relationship that's all about arguing to me is not a good relationship because an, a relationship is supposed to bring you up and not bring you down. And that's a big thing that I think that our young ladies and our young men need to learn in life that a good relationship is one in which you have positive feelings the vast majority of the time, not negative feelings. So I see a lot of people in life that, you know, we've all been out with them. We, you go out with the Bickersons, right? The, <laughs> the people that are, are just constantly jabbing at each other and it's uncomfortable and it's unhappy. And I don't want to live that way. And I don't want to see my kids live that way. And I'm just really, really happy to say that for me, my two kids that are married and the third one, a third one is in, you know, a, a full-time relationship. In fact, have a baby due in a few weeks and um, they, the other one is still single, but they all have good, good relationships. And that's so important. I just, I would break my heart to see, not a good relationship and, and see my kids being in pain in a relationship all the time. So teaching those things to our kids when they're a little bit younger is, I just think, really important. The communication, exactly. And the Bible does say that the elders, which we are now the elder women, um, the elder women of the church is supposed to guide the younger women. And, and even mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. I mean, it's different how these kids meet now and communicate and it's different how they start dating and find their significant other. But those, these things that we just discussed, this, the old fashioned ways of how to be in a relationship and how to fight and how to love. And even though each and every one of us had different parenting styles, seems like we all still had the foundation of love and, and time and God in in our families. And that's what's important is making sure our children know that the love that they can get in their hearts will go over and and knock out any adversity that may come. Well, ladies, that's a wrap. One more step for womankind. 